The text for this morning's message will be Romans chapter 11. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 10. Romans chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 10. The Bible says, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, or don't you know, what the scripture saith of Elijah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the, the people that are here, Lord, and just the great grace and mercy that you've had upon us. I ask, Lord, that you be with us now in this time of preaching, that you would open our eyes and open our ears. Help us not to close them against the truth that is here, Lord, and help our hearts not to be hard and callous, but soft and tender and ready for your word. I ask that you would help us to see the principles here and that you would give me the strength to simply be the, the messenger as you do the speaking, Lord, and do the work that I cannot do. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So unless the Lord has other plans, um, which sometimes He does, uh, we've got two, sec- uh, two sermons left in this doctrinal section before we kind of turn the corner in Romans chapter 12 and we start with practical things. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans are, are huge, man. They are some of the most richest theologically packed chapters in the Bible. Chances are, if you're going to talk to somebody about salvation, where are you going? Romans, right? The Romans road. Everybody heard of that? You're going to go there because Paul handles those things. If you're going to talk about baptism, you're going to Romans chapter 6. If you're going to talk about the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, it's Romans chapter 8. Man, this this section of Scripture is massive and it's deep. And we've been going through that now almost for three years. I don't know if you realize that, but we've been in some way or another going through Romans for about two or three years now. And as we come to to some sections like this, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11, we kind of want to push through it and get through to the practical stuff. Because right away in in chapter 12, you've got the uh, present your body as a living sacrifice. And man, we could talk a lot about that, right? How you do that every day and what you do in your life and present it a sacrifice at your job or at your marriage or whatever. Stuff that maybe is a little bit easier to talk about. 
But when you're talking about Israel being blinded and election and all that stuff, man, we kind of want to push through and get to the easy stuff. Listen, I know this stuff is kind of hard to understand. And sometimes we wonder, what does this have to do with me right now? Like with what's going on or, or the struggles that I'm facing in my life. I thought the word was supposed to be relevant. And this, I just don't understand. How's this going to help me tomorrow? I get it. You think this is easy to preach? I like amens, not people going like this in the pew. (laughs) What is he talking about? But we must not hurry past this. We must not rush past this because actually some principles that we're talking about, we've been talking about, we're going to talk about today and especially next week, they're foundational. There's some of the things the church and our relationship with Jesus Christ, some of those things, we are built on those. We have a history. Okay? It's not all of a sudden in Matthew chapter 1, God has a bright idea and changes everything. No. There is a biblical theology, a biblical goal from Genesis to Revelation to eternity. So they're important for us to understand, or at least to kind of get a grasp of. And yes, some of the things we're going to talk about has an impact for you today and tomorrow and for your children. If we simply would listen and think. That's what we do with the Bible. Some of the things it's easy to understand, right? Thou shalt not steal. If you need to think about that, there's a problem. Thou shalt not lie. Pretty straightforward. But other things we sit down and we think, okay, Lord, what does this mean? And we turn over here, we turn over there. Oh, I get what you're saying. And this is one of those passages we think, okay, what, what, what's going on? What does this mean? There has been a tendency in modern Christianity, although I think it's fading somewhat, but over the past couple decades at least, in modern mainstream Christianity, there has been a tendency to shy away from the Old Testament. That's old, man. There's a lot of these and thous and do nots. And there's, there's some things, quite frankly, that's hard to understand, like war and God wiping out nations. So there has been a tendency to distance from the Old Testament. And you have some preachers saying things like, we as Christians, we as modern Christians, need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And so you have a moving away. Maybe the um, stories here and there, like Daniel or the Ten Plagues, or something like that, right? But as far as teaching and preaching the Old Testament, there's been, there's been a separation, and that has not been good. So when, when you come to a Sunday morning like this, and we talk a lot about Israel, and the current state of Israel, people sit in the pews and say, why, why do I need to know this? Who cares about Israel? Why is this relevant to me? Well, it is relevant. In fact, it means a lot. Paul says this. Keep your finger here. Just turn over a couple chapters in the chapter 15 of Romans in verse 4. He says this. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, chapter 15, verse 4 of Romans, whatsoever things were written beforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Well, yeah, he's talking about the New Testament, right? No. He's writing the New Testament. 
as he, as he writes this. He's talking about the Old Testament. You understand that? When, like on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, when Peter stands up, man, he preaches that great sermon and he shows from the scriptures who Christ is. He's talking from the Old Testament. Not the Gospels. The Gospels had yet to be written. And when Paul says here, hey, those things that were written before, those scriptures are written for our learning and that give us patience and comfort and hope, he's talking about the Old Testament. So yeah, we need to pay attention to it. Yeah, it matters to us. Have you not? Or did you not? When we went through the book of Daniel, did you not get a little bit of hope and comfort through that? Hey, Daniel and his friends can stand in the face of a fiery furnace or a lion's den and God was there with them. Didn't that give us hope today? It's the same God. See, things like that, right? Those give us patience. Those give us hope. So we need to pay attention. And so hopefully this morning, I want to point out a few of those things other than just the facts that Paul gives here. See, there's a message to us this morning and quite frankly, There's a message to our nation in these turbulent times that we're living in. So let's do our best to to make that clear. If you can remember a few weeks back, which sometimes is hard. Some of you can't even remember yesterday. If you remember a few weeks back, I preached a message on the centrality of the church in the New Testament. The church is essential. There's no mistake. Anybody who reads the New Testament, you're going to run right into it. The letters are written to churches. Christ starts His church. The church is central in the New Testament. Anyone who reads it can quickly see that. In the same way, anyone who reads the Old Testament is going to run right into Israel. You can't mistake it. The special place of Israel. The prominence of Israel. There's no mistaking. They are God's people. They are God's chosen nation. The nation through whom He works to reach all other nations. They are to be a light. He says that in several different places in the Old Testament. You are to be a light to the Gentiles. You are to be uh, an example of what it's like to be in a relationship with God and ruled over by God. That's why they had the Ten Commandments and all of that. They were to be an example and God worked and moved through them. So when you read the Old Testament, it's their history. There's promises are given to them. There's no church in the Old Testament. You understand that, right? There's God's people. But you see types and shadows of what is to come. And when you come to the New Testament, it changes. Like all of a sudden. Instead of God working through one specific nation to reach all people groups, He now works through a group of people called out from all peoples to reach all nations. The ones who Jesus calls to Himself, His church, His called out assembly. He now works through them to reach all people. And Israel is no longer at the center stage. In the Old Testament, it's all about Israel. When you come to the New Testament, they're not any longer on the center stage. In fact, they move quickly off the stage as one of the lead roles and they return as the main protagonist. The bad guy. The bad guy. Well, what happened? What happened? Well, to put it quite simply, and it's what we've been talking about over the past couple of months, they rejected the main point of the Bible. They rejected Jesus. Jesus came on the scene, God in the flesh. 
He came down to man, and John writes this in chapter 1 of his gospel. He, Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not. It's talking about Israel. He came to his own people, and they said, no, we don't want you. Those people whom he promised he would come to. And when he came to them in the flesh, quite frankly, they didn't like how he looked. They didn't like that he wasn't rich. They didn't like that he wasn't going to overthrow the government. So they said, nope, we don't want you. You know, I wonder if, I wonder if we would do the same today. You've seen the pictures of what Jesus looks like, right? The white guy with long hair and the beard. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen any of the modern things kind of floating around of what the real Jesus would look like, like a normal everyday Middle Eastern man. I wonder if we'd be a little uncomfortable with that. I wonder if we have our own little bit of prejudices built up. So when, if Jesus would come to us looking and talking like he did, if we'd reject him too, be careful for coming so, coming hard so coming down so hard on Israel when we do some of the same things. He wasn't a king. We want a king who's going to overthrow Rome. We want somebody who's going to. Put us in, in the national world prominence. And Jesus didn't do that. You know what he came? He says, I come to seek and save the lost. I come to show you who God is. I come to bring salvation. They said no. They rejected him. They called him satanic. And you know what happened? God's nation, under God's protection, God's blessing rejected God in the flesh, and they fell away because of unbelief. Turn back a couple pages in Romans to chapter 9 and look at verse 31. Didn't mean they turned their back on God. They still worshipped God, but they rejected God when He came to Him. Chapter 9 and verse 31 says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They were wanting to be in this right relationship with God and they were working through all of these self-works and the self-loss that they didn't get it. Why? Verse 32, they sought, sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. That's Christ. Verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They didn't. They rejected and that rejection continues to this day. Let me just say this before we move on. Though Israel might worship God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the right God of Scripture, and though they might attain to His Old Testament law and, and read and believe the Old Testament, they continue to reject Jesus. And that makes all the difference, you understand? Remember what Jesus said in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And who comes to the Father but through Him? No one, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. They reject Him. And so they are a nation still under judgment. That has brought the judgment of God. So let's look in our text and see what it says. Romans chapter 11. I want to start with the last section in verse 7. Paul says, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks for. It has not obtained that righteousness, that uh, being in a right relationship with God. 
They've not attained it. But the election hath obtained it. The rest were blinded. What's he talking about there? We've already spent several weeks on what election means. It either means, depending on what you believe, that God has chosen those who will believe and made the rest so that they will not. It's called Calvinism. Belief uh, um, on election and things like that. Of course, you know, I do not hold to that. The election is God's choosing His plan and the people that follow the plan. God chose Israel, but as we already looked, not all Israel was Israel because they didn't follow in faith. God wants to save all men, but He allows us to choose whether or not when the Spirit draws, whether we follow Him or not. If we do and we submit our lives to Him, we are His chosen ones. What Paul is saying, Israel as a nation did not obtain it, but those who are faithful to Him have. The election hath obtained it. And the rest, that's the part that gets us, right? The rest were blinded. That word means hardened or calloused. The rest of Israel has been blinded. There are those who follow Him in faith. The rest of Israel has been blinded. Whoa, whoa, hold on. That's not fair. What do you mean God has blinded people? That's mean, God. Mean. Terrible. How could you do that? That's what our human human side says, right? Well, let me ask you this question. How do you get a callus? Repetition. How can I push my fingers down on those strings without bleeding? Because of a repetition. There's a callus on the end of my fingertips. I have calluses on my hands from turning wrenches for the past 20 years. I remember... (laughs) It's always been a, it's always been a um, tradition in my family. You don't hire people for nothing. <laughs> you need a ditch dug in the backyard, you dig it. You don't, get, you don't rent a ditch witch or whatever those things are. No, you get a pick and a shovel and you dig the ditch. You need a roof put on, you don't hire roofers. You strap up. I remember being Matthew's age on the top of my roof, being taught how to space shingles. But we didn't have no fancy nail guns. You had to... Hold them in your hand and ping. Hope you don't hit your, hit your finger with the hammers. And I can remember doing those things. I, one of those was digging a ditch for sprinklers at the church, no less, the old church. And man, I was out there swinging a pick. I'm going to do it. And my grandpa's working and my dad's working. I'm going to do it. I'm going to dig this thing. And it wasn't before long I had big blisters on my hands because I wasn't used to it, right? Well, when you... Re- you do what work like that repetitively, you build up a callus to it, don't you? Well, this word he uses says the rest were calloused. The rest were calloused. In chapter 10 of Romans, in verse 21, it says this, and he's quoting Old Testament scripture, but unto Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and a gainsaying people. That's the Old Testament where God is saying, listen, I've reached out to you guys over and over and over, but you keep turning away. The Old Testament records that you guys keep walking away from me. When are you going to stop? An action repeated over and over and over. In the New Testament, we find this. Matthew chapter 12. Here's what the the leaders of Israel say to Jesus. You cast out demons by Beelzebub. 
You know what Beelzebub is another word for? Satan. Yeah, we see you casting out these demons and doing all these things. You're doing that by the power of Satan. In John chapter 8, as, he is, as Jesus is preaching to them, the leaders of Israel say this, you bear record of yourself and your record is not true. In fact, where is your father? You're talking about your father all the time. Where is he? John chapter 19. We have no king but Caesar. And in Acts, the book of Acts records the Jewish persecution. The chief priests, the scribes, the leaders, they're putting the church people in prison. They're beating them. They're whipping them. Finally, in Acts chapter 28, as Paul is preaching to them, he says, the kingdom has turned away from you and gone to the Gentiles. All that to say, it wasn't like there was this uh, switch that was flipped and all of a sudden they've got blinded hearts. No, they calloused their own hearts over and over and over rejecting God until they faced the consequences. Do you understand that we can do that? We can say no to God enough. No, God, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want this. I don't want to do this until God says, fine, have it your way. Fine, if that's what you want. Thank God for His mercy that He doesn't do that all the time, right? But God can and has done that. And Israel has some 6,000 years, well, maybe, maybe a little less, thousands of years of history recorded in the Old Testament over and over and over. Drawing, drawing, God draws them. They reject, they reject, reject until Jesus comes. And God says, fine, that's it, guys. Have it your way. And so they are brought under national judgment. The rest were blinded. They are under national judgment with individual consequences. And I'll explain that more in a minute. But they are under a national blindness. They still do not believe. They still do not worship Jesus because of their continual rejection and hard hearts. That's the fact since Christ has been here. And it is the fact to this day. Israel, as a nation who once walked with God and were God's chosen covenant people, are now blinded to the fact of Scripture. And we just need to stop a moment and speak about that. And here's where one of the messages for us this morning comes in. We cannot play fast and loose with the things of God. We cannot pick and choose the commands of Scripture. We do that all the time, don't we? I like this part. I don't like this part. So I'm going to ignore that and go with the good stuff. I like the part of blessing and God making me happy and God making me whatever that's good for me. But when it comes to things like no man can be my disciple unless he take up his cross and follow me. Whoa, whoa, Jesus. You're stepping over a line now. You're going to pick and choose that? We cannot play fast and loose. This is God talking to us. We understand. This is a message from our Creator, the one who rules high and holy in heaven, from the one who has come down to give us salvation. We don't pick and choose, but yet we do. We say no to the Word over and over and over so that it becomes easier for us to make decisions like that. And it becomes easier for us to say no, easier for us to walk away, easier for us to have our own truth and do what we want when we want. After all, I am king of my own life. Sounds kind of familiar. We have no king but Caesar. I have no king but me. 
Ain't no pastor, ain't no deacon, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do, much less God. Be careful. Be careful. We ought to repent of that before God honors our hardened heart. Maybe you know some people like that. They've walked away from the truth and man, they will not listen. They will not listen. They want nothing to do. Do you understand that it could be the case that God has hardened their already hardened heart? It's a dangerous place to be. Israel's in a dangerous place. That's why we need to listen to things like this. Take note of the examples like this given in Scripture. Don't read Romans chapter 11, blah, 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 blah. It's boring to me. I'm going to go on. No. He's given you an example. Be careful. Israel is hardened and blinded for the past 2,000 years because they rejected God over and over and over. Don't do that in our own hearts. No, we need to keep a tender heart. We need to have open eyes and open ears. That's why I pray that before each Sunday message. Lord, give us open eyes, open ears. Let us hear. Don't close your eyes or close your ears to the truth. Lest God close them. America would do good to take notice of that, wouldn't she? America needs to listen to this and she needs to do so quickly because we are headed down the same path. Listen, I know who Israel is and you can tell me, I I already get it. Israel is God's chosen nation. America is not Israel, is not God's chosen nation. Yeah, okay. But you got to say, we've been tremendously blessed by God, haven't we? We enjoy some wonderful freedoms, wonderful liberty to worship and to do the things that we do like no other nation Uh, largely due to the fact that we were founded on and we have retained biblical principles. We have retained a reverence for God. We have retained a reverence for the Bible and for living as we should. And that, I believe, is why we have been blessed. But that's vanishing very quickly, isn't it? And it's willful. That's the thing. It's willful. We as a nation are beginning to choose to ignore things. And those in leadership are continually guiding the nation away. By the way, that was what happened for Israel. Israel's leadership guided the nation. Listen, we're on the same track. That's why elections are important. That's why you need to know who you're voting for because the leadership in place and uh, things like that have, have, a, have a trickle-down effect. And our leadership for the longest time has led us away. We need to be... We need to be in prayer for what's coming up. We have people taking steps to outlaw biblical principles and to legalize sin so that we can just run headlong into it and do whatever we want and not have to have a conscience about it. There is oppression of those who would speak it. <laughs> Still going on to this day is fines for churches. I thought it had calmed down. It's not. There's one church in, uh, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I forget the city, a Calvary Chapel somewhere, $220,000 worth of fines. Uh, Grace Community Church in um, Simi Valley, wherever he's at, John MacArthur, continues to get fines for each service. The Independent Baptist Church in uh, Lancaster has been fined every service. It's not stopping. Listen, I may not see eye to eye with all those different groups, 
but we have a right to worship God here in this country. And we are now getting fined to do just that. The fines, I think, starts at 500 bucks a service and goes up from there. It's insane. Insane. That's happening in America right now. There's steps taken to erase God and His Word from the very fabric of our nation. There are people ignoring the wake-up calls given by God to, to snap us out of it as if they are blinded to the truth and deaf to it. Sound familiar? Verse 8, 11, 8. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. That comes with judgment from God. This was prophesied of Israel. They're, they're going to hear but not hear. They're going to see but not see. And that's what exactly happened with Jesus. I see it taking steps now in our own country. And notice this, verse 9. David saith, let their table be made a stare and a, a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. Listen, you get this picture of oppression, right? Of, of coming under the weight of judgment. Can you see that's starting to happen to us? It's not been better for us to pass some of these laws or legalize some of these different things. It's not been better for the nation. No, it's been worse, hasn't it? You go out and you talk about the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is between one woman and one man for life. People don't hear. Like They don't even get it. That's a bigoted way to look at things. It's, it, it, it's like it bounces off. Bing, bing. This is what the Bible says. They won't hear. They don't see. Or you talk about not killing precious, innocent babies in the mother's womb. And they won't hear it. it it's oppressive to talk like that. Who are you to talk about my rights and my body? And You, you, know, all the, you know it all, right? You see it all. They won't hear it because they willfully reject it to favor their own sinful hearts and sinful tendencies. And that has not been good for us. It's become a snare to us, a trap, a stumbling block. Families are wrecked. Society is crumbling because we've attacked the very core of God's family unit, marriage and the sanctity of children. God created marriage to have children, raise them, not kill them. To stick together. Listen, I know stuff happens and not here to talk about that. But for the family unit to stick together through thick and through thin as they, they keep their eyes on God and walk through this life. That's what God's plan is. And we've attacked it and, and decimated it, haven't we? And it's not been better for society. Kids need a dad. Kids need a mom. Kids need to live. They need to live. But we have broken homes and we have society that is crumbling and we have tension in society and we are heaping burdens and oppression upon ourselves because we are walking away from the truth of God. We had better wake up and we had better do it soon before we follow suit like Israel. We run the danger of national judgment by God. 
being a nation that is forsaken by him and outside of his favor because we turned away from him, as Israel is on a national level. You may say, so what? My family's good. Listen, that will have individual impacts. Think about this. How you treat God and his word directly impacts your children, right? If it's important to you, it's going to be important to them. If you've got a meh attitude about it, they're going to be raised in a meh attitude. And it doesn't go up. It usually goes down. I don't want to go to church today. I'm tired. I don't care. I was told that was ingrained in me from when I was a get up, get your clothes on. We're going. Why? Because it's what we do. It's what we do. How you treat it, how you treat God and His Word directly, directly impacts your children. They're going to see and they're going to imitate the good and the bad, right? That's one of the annoying things about kids. They don't filter out the bad and copy only the good. They copy everything, right? usually the bad, at the moment you don't want them to. But they're going to see and they're going to, they're going to imitate it. Which means their life is going to impact their children. They're going to raise their children a certain way. And if we have people being raised in a, in a God-forsaken society, what is that going to do to future generations? We have future generations being raised right now because they are watching the media, they are watching what's going on in society, and they are being taught to ignore God, to reject Him, to be angry at God. And that is leading the whole nation on a path straight to judgment. America needs to repent. Her people need to repent. We, the church, need to repent if hard hearts are found in us and be out there trying to warn the nation, hey, let's go back the other way. What comes to mind is that verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's what we need. That's what we need. And so we ought to pray for our nation. We ought to be active in witnessing and warning that we not be brought under judgment and blinded to the truth as Israel was because of their hard hearts separated from God. Although it's pretty bleak, that's our future if we continue in what we're doing. I don't want to leave you with that in your heart. All doom and gloom and we just walk out and go our separate ways. No. Let me give you a little bit of hope this morning. So let's go back to verse 1 and see something that Paul says here. We know that Israel is under judgment. Okay. What is in chapter 11, verse 1? I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. Has God thrown them away totally? Pushed them away totally? He says, no. In fact, look, I'm an Israelite, the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. He says, no, look at me. I came out of Israel. Paul says that. <laughs> look at me. I followed Christ in faith. I had a repentant heart. And God saved me and God brought me into his people. You know his story. He went from the chief rejecter of the church, the chief sinner, the chief persecutor, to the chief apostle in many ways, right? God didn't. God has not totally cast away his people. Those who repent, he forgives, he saves. He has grace on them. Look in verse 6. 
by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, no, otherwise work is no more work. It's by grace. God has grace on us. It's not by works that we're kept right by Him. It's by grace. By grace that we are saved. By grace that we are shown our condition. Shown our Savior. It's grace that saves us when we trust in Him. It's God's grace that softens our hearts. It's God's grace that turns us away when we turn. It turns us back when we turn away from Him. Think in your own life how many times God has had grace on you. He could have let you go. But He didn't. Did He? Paul says, I was part of that nation. I could have been cast off. But no. God had the grace to get the gospel to me. Titus chapter 2 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace is Christ, who died so that all might be saved. Even those who reject Him, that grace is there. If they, don't, if they aren't saved, it's because they don't believe. You understand that? The only unforgivable sin is unbelief. Anyone, whether it's Israel, America, you, me, Anyone who has a truly repentant heart can be saved. So even though Israel was under judgment, He hasn't totally cast them off. Those who turn to Him in faith, He saves. And Paul knew that firsthand. It was grace that brought him to Christ. Look at verse 2. God has not cast away His people which He foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel? saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. <laughs> he gives this example that I want to stick with us, because sometimes it feels like that. He gives the example of Elijah. Elijah is in 2 Kings or 1 Kings chapter 19, and he had just had this massive showdown on the mountain. That's where you call down fire and, and all that that happens. This wonderful thing, and this wonderful victory, and then it goes south. And within a couple days, he finds himself running for his life. He's in the wilderness alone. Jezebel is out to get him. And he says this in verse 3. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've digged down the altars. It's only me. Nobody else believes. No one else is faithful. Can it be easy to feel like that in today's day and age? Sure it can. It's all, nobody else believes. Nobody else cares. No one cares, Lord. Look around. Nobody listens. You talk about the Bible and they scoff and they say, well, yeah, that's fine if you believe that. Or they're, they're not interested in hearing about Christ. They're interested in themselves. And we invite people. Nobody comes to church, Lord. No one cares. Even in mainstream Christianity, it seems like we're alone. Sometimes there's more of a care for consumer-based entertainment than it is the truth of the Word. It's only us, Lord. And we're about to be snuffed out. What's the reply in verse 4? Here's what God says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. No, you're not alone. Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 more men in the nation of Israel that haven't bowed down. 
Paul says that to say, listen, I'm not alone in the ones who are believing and being saved out of Israel. Most Jews rejected? Yes. But the church, the early church at Jerusalem was made up of some 20,000 believing Jews. Well, God did not cast away His people. Though it feels like we're alone in this day and age, we are not alone. There are believers all across the landscape holding truth, holding true to the truth of God and to the Word of God. And though the loud oppressors may seem to grow more and more, listen when God says, we're not alone. We are not alone. There is a remnant. Verse 5. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There's a remnant. You understand that this morning? There are those who will believe. There are those that the gospel will go out. It will touch your heart. They will be saved. They'll be baptized. They'll join the church. And they'll go and they'll witness to other people. There is a remnant left. We are not the last generation of Christians upon the face of this earth. There are still people to be saved. The Great Commission goes until we see Christ coming from the sky. There are those who will believe. There are those who will follow God's plan. That should give us hope this morning. As we go with the gospel, as you are witnessing the people in your life and those contacts that you have, even though sometimes in the back of your mind you say, they're never going to come, they're never going to believe. No, 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 no. You don't know that. You know there's a remnant left. There are those who will believe. So you keep preaching. You keep witnessing. And know this. Someone's going to be saved. Someone's going to be saved. Think, just think back to your own life. Maybe you were a stubborn hard head before you got saved. Maybe you said some things like, I'm never going to go to church, and nah, it's not for me. And maybe in your past, you could never see yourself sitting here in this old school church on a Sunday morning listening to a preacher and singing old songs. That would have been the farthest thing from your mind. But someone told you, didn't they? They didn't give up on you. They kept inviting. They kept witnessing. Maybe they sat down and prayed with you. Maybe they picked you up and took you to church. I don't know what the story is. But somebody didn't give up on you because they knew the power of the gospel. And you know what? As we look into this hostile world, let us not do the same thing. Oh, they'll never be saved. Oh, it's never going to work. No, 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 no. There's a remnant. People are going to be saved. People's hearts can be changed. I don't care what kind of lifestyle they come from. I don't care what they're doing right now. I don't care what they believe. The, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believeth. Do we believe that this morning? Then why don't we go tell them? And know that God will do His work. There will be people who will get baptized and join His church. and There will be people who have strayed away that will turn back. No, we're not alone in this. There are others, so don't give up. Don't, go, don't give up if we, as we see the nation go down the tubes and get farther away from God. No, we keep preaching, we keep praying. You know, Paul did a lot of preaching to the Jewish nation, and there was a lot of rejection, but every time, every time, there's this wonderful little phrase, some believed, and some believed. 
That's wonderful. Though there was this massive rejection, the word got through and it changed people's hearts. So let's not stop. No, let's keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up on those who've walked away, assuming that God has cast them off. No, you love them, you warn them, you pray for them. And you let God's grace do its work on their heart. Maybe the last warning finally this morning. Guard your heart. Guard it from hardness and guard it from unbelief. Because that hardness and unbelief will bring the judgment of God. And it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your family and those around you. That's how Israel got where they were. So it's how America has gotten where she is. Listen, if we find our heart getting hard and callous to some things of the Word, maybe we ought to repent. If we find ourselves rejecting the truth and getting hardened against conviction, maybe we ought to repent. Learn from the example. These things are written for our learning. See how this matters to you this morning? You see how, how it impacts? It's not a bunch of blah, blah, blah. No, it's an example of what can happen when we walk away from God, lived out in real time. So let's learn and not make the same mistakes. And keep a humble heart that's tender to His grace. If you find any hardness or unbelief in your own heart, I pray that you would repent, that we do not face the same judgment.